Oh, hello there. Welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry, and backwards, my name is Yurette, and I don't know why I'm telling you this. Today I'm chatting with Eric Larson, a freelance illustrator and motion graphics artist about his journey from leaving professional ballet dancing to discovering animation and then turning that into a full-on successful freelance career. Eric has worked on projects like The Greatest Poem, Netflix's Principles of Pleasure, Her Justice, and a super cool artist collab that I'm part of, which is actually how we met in the first place. In our chat, Eric is going to share how he fast-tracked himself from zero to getting paid big bucks to make animations as a freelance artist, and the self-help animators book that he's modeled his career off of, which has changed his life. So without further ado, let's jump in. Hi, Eric. How how are you doing? I'm doing really well, thanks. How are you? You're good. So we actually met because we're part of this uh, artist collab thing where we're putting together our own short animated films into an anthology to create a pitch, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's, I think, the ultimate goal. To, that's to the ultimate pitch goal. At the moment. So yeah. we're just random internet strangers. Great. Except we met through art, which is fantastic. So, okay. So you are a uh, 2D animator right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, like you don't do storyboarding or like uh, directing, you just do 2D animation. So like, tell me how you got into this. Yeah. Um, so I was a professional ballet dancer before animation. Um, and I was kind of early in my career, but but wanting to get out of ballet for, for various reasons. Um, I moved up to New York. I did some other things and eventually found my way into NYU. We can go back to the other things, just to the short version of the story. I got into NYU, I started studying uh, creative writing there, uh, ended up transferring programs to this uh, digital communications program where I found work by Yukaidu um, and uh, uh, Masanobu Hiraoka, who, you know, just two fantastic 2D animators. And I was like, oh my God, motion graphics and animation is like a thing. I want to do that. And then I started doing that. And now I'm doing that. Okay, amazing. But you said that is a very short story, but let's let's long let's lengthen it <laughs> somewhat. So you were you were a, a professional ballet dancer, which takes like a huge amount of rigorous training and talent and skill and professionalism. And then you were actually in the industry. And yeah. then you're like 20 something years old and decided that wasn't for you. So you just packed up your bags and moved to New York. Pretty much, yeah. So straight out of high school, I went and danced with the Sacramento Ballet in California. Yeah. Um, full-time company. We danced, you know, nine hours a day, six to seven days a week, depending on if we had shows that week. Um, it was like a nine-month contract, and we'd get the summers off. And by summers off, I just mean that we didn't get paid and we had to go find something else to do for the summers. Um then I, after a couple of years, I moved to Sarasota, Florida to dance with the Sarasota Ballet down there. Um, I got to dance with one of my idols in the dance world, uh, Alina Kojikaru. Um, she came to dance uh, Giselle with us, which is just a really famous ballet. And like, if you're gonna see her dance anything in person, like that's the thing to see her do. Um, and this was right around uh, 2008, 2009. So the reason why I actually moved to Sarasota was because of the huge financial meltdown that we were experiencing. 
Um, and I thought because I was really young and naive and I didn't pay attention to what was like happening in the world outside of like my bubble. Um, I thought the first company I was with was just having like money problems, which they were, but it was because everybody was having money problems. So that's why like I left initially. Um, Sacramento was a fantastic company, but uh, Sarasota was a, a new opportunity. So I went out there, danced with them. And while I was in Sarasota, um, there's this theater company called the Oslo Theater Company. And they do a lot of like pre-Broadway runs of, of musicals and plays. And they're just a world-class theater company. Um, and they did a joint production of the show called Contact, which is a, like a big dance show. It's choreographed by Susan Stroman. And um, they had ballet dancers from the company in the, in the theater production. So I went to, to be one of the dancers in the theater production while I was full-time at the ballet company as well. Um, and I, I didn't know what a, a swing was at the time. So I got cast as what's called a swing in theater. And like an understudy, they, they cover roles. Like if somebody gets sick or somebody gets injured, you know, the understudy goes on. But for a swing, they actually cover everybody's roles. And I didn't know that <laughs> until the first day of rehearsal when, um, you know, we all had two and a half weeks to learn the show. And where the seven people I covered had two and a half weeks to learn one role, I had two and a half weeks to learn seven roles oh my goodness. um it was like the most panic the most stress the like i don't i blocked out most of it in my brain because i was just so focused on knowing what i needed to know um and after that experience i was like man that was really hard i want to do this wow <laughs> like full time um so i finished my contract in sarasota and i moved to new york to do musical theater i did musical theater here for uh, a couple years I got to be a swing in different shows and, and live my panic, stressed out dreams. <laughs> um, and then hit a point where I was like, I actually had run into this actress who uh, was in a movie I really loved as a kid. She was one of the stepsisters in Cinderella, um, in the, the Brandy Whitney Houston Cinderella. And I met her at a show and I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, I know you from when I was a kid, which I don't know how she felt about me saying that, but <laughs> it was true. Um, and I ran into her like six months later and she was just coming back from an audition. She, you know, had a really great career where she was, where she was doing like films and Broadway shows and, and all these different things. And I was chatting with her and she was like, yeah, I just, I just came from this audition and you know, it's me against nine other women. I have no idea if I'm going to get the job because they're all super qualified. And, and I recognized this pattern in theater that you were always like hungry for the next job and it's it's not really in the same way that we're hungry for a job like in animation um because it becomes very personalized in a like a physical way right so i'd go to auditions and either like i was too skinny or too big or too short or too tall or too you know all these physical traits and meeting this actress who had a great career i was like i don't think i want to do that so yeah. i need to go find something else to do. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. And then ended up going to NYU and. So know, wait, wait, so yeah, you know, go you, ahead. first of all, you only choose careers that are like extremely artistic and <laughs> yeah. 
like a competitive ruling. <laughs> but okay, so yeah. you're 20 something at, at, at this stage in your life and you, you yeah. reach a moment where you're like, wow, I've been through a career already that didn't work out financially. I've changed to this other career, which is like high stress and I love, but I don't know how much I can take of it. And then you're like, I'm going to go back to school yeah. or for what did you decide? Like, cause you didn't, you just took like a general arts degree. Yeah. So I, I got into this, uh, the school called Paul McGee, which is a school of professional studies at NYU. It was for, um, like adults who wanted to go to school as opposed to, you know, people who are 18, 19, who are just out of high yeah. school and yeah. going to school. Um, and they had a creative writing program where we had, I mean, like world-class uh, authors were coming in to, to work with us and to teach us. Uh, one of our um, professors just won like a huge prize in poetry last year. So this is like amazing program that nobody knew about because they didn't do a great job marketing the program. Um, and two years into that program, it was looking like it was starting to shut down. And so I was like, well, I'm at NYU and they've got this other digital communications, uh, digital media and communications degree. I want to edit stuff. Like, well, I'm going to go try that. Because <laughs> it was still, you know, storytelling as uh, with the, the writing and stuff. Um, and then, yeah, through different teachers, design teachers and animation teachers, I found my way into animation. How did it feel to be, you know, you pursued different career paths for so long. And even when you were pursuing school, it was like shutting down again. Like it just, it just keeps it from my perspective, you kept reaching like, you know, walls of challenges. How did it feel to like, you know, be further on in your career and continually like not have something confirmed locked down that you wanted to do and just kind of be open-minded about things? I mean, I think at the time I was so open to like, figuring out what I wanted to do in the long term. Cause you know, as a dancer, I knew that unless I became a, a director of a company or, you know, became a choreographer or went into teaching, like my dance career was limited. Yeah. So now I was starting to think like, what do I want to do for the rest of my working career potentially? Um, and, you know, I did, I was having successes pretty quickly with some things as far as like getting work and, and making money, not always great money, but I was making money. Um, so that helped me not get too stressed out about like, oh, I've hit this pivot point. Like, I'm just going to pivot. That's like kind of a thing that I, I find if, if you have to pivot and yeah. you feel like the, the impetus to do it and you're like, that's cool. That's something I'm interested in. Like, just do it because you don't know what's going to happen unless you do, right? Right. It's scary, but like, you never know. But okay. So how do you feel now that you've been animating for a couple of years? Is this the thing or is this kind of, you know, you're just exploring this right now, I guess. Is this like the one thing until the next thing? I don't yeah. know when the next thing comes up. Well, I don't know. I'm like... just wondering, like, is it the <laughs> thing? Like, are you completely satisfied, fulfilled? And this is what you like, you know, you've checked out different career paths and in animation. You're like, this is actually something I want to pursue until I pass away. <laughs> <laughs> until I'm dead. Um, I mean, is... that's what I said to myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I... So far, I love animation. For the most part, I love the people who work in it, work in this field, and even people I don't necessarily get along with. Um, you know, they're still generally really passionate about what they're doing. They're just passionate in a way that conflicts with the way that I'm passionate. So, 
you know, it's nice to be in an industry, at least on, on this end where I'm on like the, you know, the more the commercial end of things where people are trying new things. They're, they're, you know, excited. You're in a project for a short period, you're paid pretty well. And then you get to like, go do something else, which was for me, something, obviously I like to like go do something else. So in this career, I don't have a whole lot of um, long-term fatigue yet. And I've been doing this for like three years now. So we'll see. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you discovered motion design in school and you're like, I want to do this. I just have a random question, but like your animation, uh, like I didn't know you were a ballet dancer until you told me, but I can see it in your animation somehow. Does that make sense? Like you're very much about like fluid movements and like body and like stuff like that, I guess. Is that, is, am I, am I just off the mark where like when you're animating, like, what do you, what is the state of being that you're pulling that inspiration from? Cause like when I'm animating, I'm like, I I go to like this childhood place that was just filled with like old timey cartoons mixed with like new cartoons mixed with like stop motion. And like, I just tap into this, like, I don't know, black hole of like all these influences just mashed together. And then I, when I'm animating, that's what comes out. Like, is, is that, is it that for you? Um, that's probably what's happening. That's probably what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, there's definitely things that I'm drawn to. I'm drawn to characters, even though, you know, two years ago, I couldn't draw anything. Um, and I was like, oh, characters, like, that's a cool thing to do. Let's try that. Uh, it's just like that, yeah, that sense of movement, that sense of, of, what movement means, what movement communicates to somebody else, how you feel when you see something. Yeah. Like that just, all of that really resonates with me. Um, totally. Yeah. I mean, as you're just talking, I can tell, cause you know, you, your, your stuff is so colorful and fluid and stuff, yeah. which is, which is another interesting thing for me because most people I talk to, including myself, uh, you know, we grew up doodling like crazy. And did you do that at all? Like you haven't mentioned that. No. So you really just started drawing when you were in school. You're like, I think this is cool. I like movement. I'm going to get into this. So then, okay. So you, you went to NYU, you got into motion graphics. Like how did you, how did you become a full fledged independent freelance person? Cause you haven't worked for a, like a studio or whatnot. Have you? Nope. So no, how did you, I... how did you, so the day you got your certificate or, or whatever it was, where did you start? How did you get your first job and then how have you continued doing that <laughs> yeah um so there's a couple things that i did i um the first thing is i started following reese parker on instagram and he is brilliant uh i got to work with him like it was one of those like oh i'm on a job with somebody i really admired this is so cool because like I'd, I'd been following him for i think two years at that point and then i got hired on the project that he was directing animation for which was just really exciting um, but he, in one of his like Q and A's, somebody said, how did you get into freelancing? And he was like, oh, I read the Freelancers Manifesto by Joey Kornman, who runs School of Motion. And I immediately bought the book. I devoured it. Everything in that book works. Okay. So um, you were so- like, I don't have, I'm not doing any, I don't have no, I don't have any <laughs> job right now. I just yeah. know that I like this. And you're following this guy on Instagram and he's like, I read this book and it changed my life. And then you're like, okay. Yep. Pretty much. Um, I had started working with a producer on like random projects while I was in school. Um, so he kind of like tied, tied me between like school and then the rest of work life with a couple of projects. 
Um, but yeah, the freelancers manifesto and then doing a, a motion hatches um, six month and or their six week and then their six month like uh, intensives. Um, what do they call them? Like their mastermind, the six, the six week mastermind and then the six month accelerator course, like those between those, uh, the freelancers manifesto and then my drawing teacher. That's that's where my career has been wow. just coming out of. Amazing. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I'm interested in this book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this, this book, um, like how did it change your life? Like, what do you mean? Like it, it, he takes you through like step-by-step step on how to find a job or like, cause I've, I, you know, I've read the synopsis of it. He's basically yeah. is like, here's how to make six figures within a year with like a, a couple people attached to your team and like have independence yep. specifically as a motion graphics person yep. which is crazy so he so like yep. so because his his path is like he was working for every studio blah, blah blah hated it didn't have control and then he switched his life okay so where did how, how what am I trying I'm trying to ask like how did how did you implement what you learned in the book specifically to how your career actually changed like what are the actionable things that actually paid off from the book to your personal career and also, are you um, making six figures? <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> um, so the to answer the first question, uh, essentially he talks you through how to find studios that are doing projects that you would love to work on. That part works, but I mean that part's pretty easy. Yeah, um, like you email you like just look up studios and you email them. You're like, hi, it's me. That's. So that's where he gets really like in the weeds. It's like, instead of just sending an email to like jobs at, which I have done and like one out of a hundred emails gets responded to, um, he goes through like, this is how you find the email for the producer, the director, the executive producer, the art director, any other animators who might be on the team. Like he goes through all of these really explicitly, like how to get this information. Um, and then how to craft an email to these people who are, who don't know you, you know, how do you send that first email in a way that's not like, Hey, give me a job. I'm good. You know, but that opens a door for conversation, for building relationships. Um, and then literally goes through like five phases of how to craft the next five phases of emails to where you're on somebody's roster or go to freelancer. They're calling you, you know, every couple of months because they've got new jobs for you. Wow. So it's like yeah. when I was in the business world, that we would call that like a nurture, a nurture sequence where you're like, is that what yep. he calls it too? Where you're I like nurturing might, your yeah. customers into paying for your services basically through email. Yep. It's super interesting. I mean, it, it makes sense exactly and it, it works uh, because like, you know, next time XYZ studio has a project where they need, they have a need for an animator. They already know who you are. You're a nice guy. You, they know you can do the work, whatever. So, okay. So you, so after reading this, um, I don't know if there's more steps, but you like went through the studios where you're like, I really love their work. It'd be awesome to work with these people. And you ended up working with Reese himself, I guess. You did the email thing. You found these producer emails, animator emails, whatever. Uh, and then the leads just came to you. Like, even though you didn't have other experience other than just school work and like production stuff from school. So that was kind of like the the gap bridger for me. I saw so many people talking about personal projects, the way to get work. If you don't have personal projects, don't expect work. Um, 
because where I graduated from school, I had a really good understanding of like the basics. And I had like some typography based projects that were professional level. Um, but most of the rest of my work was like not at that level at all. Uh, so I took on, you know, every like small project that I could get my hands on while I was working on the personal projects that were in styles that I wanted to work ah. in. I was like, I want someone to see this and hire me to do this. Totally. Um, and because of those personal projects, like now I'm on track to make six figures for the first time in my career this year. Oh my goodness. Congratulations. That's yeah. amazing. Um, that's yeah. really interesting to me because you know, a lot of people put personal projects completely to the side and rely on their school demo reel or whatever, which is just like assignments from teachers that, you know, they didn't want to do it, but they're like, oh, a, a rigging job came up. I, I did some rigging. I'll just apply to it. Oh, a layout job came up. I did some layout in school. Here's my application. But your strategy yeah. was like, I'm going to take whatever job I can to like make money and get experience in like this freelancing world while specifically work, putting my hard ass work into something that I really would love to do and show off what I want to do. Yep. And then you, uh, then what? Like you have this personal project and then you, then what? Like people just see it and they're like, oh, hire you. Great. Or you use that as your demo reel or... Yeah, I mean, so essentially as I'm going through that same freelance process with, with the emails and like nurturing these relationships, then I put that those new projects in, in my new reel and say, hey, I've got these new projects. I know we've been talking for like six months. Here's a new reel. There's a bunch of new work in there. And they see, oh, wow, this is something you're doing stuff now. And I know you now because we've been talking for a couple months. I see your personal projects. Hey, We've got this project. Well, there's no shame and there's no shame in in following up, aka like hounding hounding someone over a period of time. Three, every three months. Every, every three, three months, months you send an email. And yep. the email Wow. I mean I was gonna say in the email says, but I guess we'll have to read the book to find out which we should write it in that email. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I mean essentially what I'm doing at this point is every time I've got availability opening up, I send emails to the studios that I'm in contact with and say, hey. Just so you know, I've got, you know, July through August uh, available for bookings. Uh, here's a new reel. There's a bunch of new work in there. Hope you're having a great day. And then, wow. you know, sometimes they say, oh, that's great. Good to know. If we have something that comes up, we'll, we'll reach out. Otherwise, you know, keep us updated on availability. That seems to be something that generally has been happening. People want to know that if I'm available to, you know, be able to staff projects. So what you're describing to me sounds like a lot of project management work are you like tracking this all for like in like excel or something because like you know you can easily just get caught up in uh, who, forgetting who you talk to and talking to three people at a studio at once which is embarrassing and like all this other stuff and then yeah. also like working on your own projects and working on other projects and reach it like this sounds like a coordination nightmare almost I mean you know it's just like when you're on a project and you have to pay attention to to various pieces I just treat every project like I'm on one of those projects. Pay attention to various pieces. Yes, I've got an Excel spreadsheet that is like, this is the person, this is the studio, this is the last thing we talked about. This is the, what phase of the freelance manifesto are we in together? Oh my it's like goodness. Joey literally is like, this is how you build your your uh, your CRM, your client, um, customer, whatever the R Yeah, your customer Thank relationship you. management software. That's what it is. <laughs> I've never heard of yeah. somebody using this lingo in the artist world, which I think is amazing and incredible. And it's, it's actually something I think about quite a lot. And I'm just, 
like personally, I'm just putting it off because I just want opportunities to come my way, if that makes sense. Like I'm just like one year into this myself, like out of school and whatever. And like, I did something very similar to what you did. Like I made, I made the silly duck wizard at the level of stuff Which that I wanted awesome. to do. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And like, I just put it out into the world and then I ended up getting like uh, two years work out of it just from like a TV show and other TV show, like all this stuff just from random stuff. Like I didn't even, I didn't even well, I, I, you know, I, yeah, you tried, I tried, but like those opportunities came to me, but like, yeah. I don't know, this is super interesting to me because like, this is something that's on my mind all the time. And I don't know what I'm waiting for, but this is like, I don't know if I find like the, the, the task daunting of just reaching out to studios, but I'm already literally reaching out to people almost every day for this podcast anyways. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I'm maybe, I feel like I'm also, there's some sort of, did you ever deal with like feeling embarrassed a bit? Like, Absolutely. Hey, I don't have work right now. Can you hire me? Like, yeah, I mean, I started this year finishing a project that didn't go great. Um, just a lot of miscommunication and communication issues that left me feeling like I was a terrible animator hmm. and like I was not professional. Right. Um, I then talked to other people that I had worked for before I was like, hey, when I worked for you, was I actually awful? Or is this just a bad relationship I had with the studio? And they're like, man, I'm pretty sure it was just a bad relationship because we actually want to hire you this year. So, and then, you know, working. At some <laughs> like, can you have me now. right now, actually? <laughs> Take me away <laughs> um, from this. But I had this like terrible experience and then had two months of no work, no inquiries, nothing came through. Um, and was like, kind of feeling that like am I I'm feeling embarrassed and and ashamed and imposter syndrome and like all of that stuff and I thought you know each time I, I send out these emails I'm always going to say it like I'm just finishing a job I've got this availability window that's open hey I'm sending it to you it's available for you if you want it that's cool if not I'm not putting any pressure um as Joey talks about in the book not leaving any open loops that make the other person uh, subconsciously feel bad when yeah. they get to the end of the email because they can't respond positively to you. Yeah, like So it's always leaving it like, this is for you. If you want it, great. If not, that's cool. I've got something else. That makes sense too. And it's like, you're framing it as this is like an opportunity, you know, like I have some free time if you had any projects coming up, not like, please hire me, please. Cause I'm broke also. But you know, when you're going yeah. through that period where nothing is coming, you don't know that in two months time, you're going to have a project. Like every, every single day that passes, like, I know what that feels like every single day that passes. You're like, what the fuck? Like, what's wrong with me? Like, am I going <laughs> to die? Can I make ends meet? Can I, you know, I do I just work scramble again? twice as hard? Do I, am, we, am I going to be homeless? And then like, yeah. You know, do you go on and do you go on an unemployment during those period of time? I don't know if you can in, in the States or whatever. Um, I could during the pandemic, which was awesome. I mean, uh, of the things about the pandemic that were good because most of it was terrible. Yeah. Um, that was a nice thing that they changed the rules for freelancers to be able to go on uh, unemployment. Um, but this year. Freelancers ended, couldn't go on an unemployment before. That's crazy. Nope. You're not valued as a, uh, but are you, uh, yeah. random question. Are you paying unemployment when you're, when you're working? I think here you can opt to pay unemployment, your own unemployment. If you're on That's... a job that doesn't have unemployment automatically taken out of your salary. Anyways, ra random aside, don't need to. I should, I should look that up. I should definitely know. 
I don't think that you can. I don't think that's an option, but now I'm going to have to find out and I'm going to have to like <laughs> start pushing my local Congress people. Hey, make this an option that I can opt into. I'll pay more, you know, in my taxes if I can get unemployment. That'd be great. Yeah, totally. Interesting. Um, so, okay. Yeah. Um, you just said you're on your way to make six figures this year, which is absolutely incredible. Like most, I would, I think, I think like 99% of people in this industry do not make six figures at all. And you're three years in. And cause you know, like you start, I don't know, you know, in Canada, you might start a salary at like 45,000 or like 50,000 for like junior animator or something, even less sometimes, maybe some, sometimes more. And then you slowly grind your way up by like a raise here, a, a increase in contract here. And then you like take a new contract and you're back to square one. And then like, you know, most people don't reach that, but in three years time, you've already reached, you know, the 1% percentile of animators, which is incredible. How much, how much, you know, what is your, what is your year look like? Are you doing like a typical nine to five? Are you doing, you know, you took two months off, I guess. Yeah, I took, I took two months off. That's I took two fine. months That's off. To talk about that. Um, yeah, I mean, essentially you, with, with freelancers for the kind of projects I do, I've been hired. I think the longest contract I got so far was, six or seven weeks oh my goodness so so it's basically like wow you know, what two months a few of those projects throughout the year and then that's the year worth of of different projects because I work a lot in advertising uh, a lot of short form stuff like I'm not working on television shows I'm not working on movies where it's you know much longer contracts um not that I wouldn't like to that's that would be great down the road um but the shorter contracts often pay pretty well. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I'm definitely, I'm working on projects that don't pay super well. I, everything pays better than ballet. <laughs> so let's just like be clear about that. Let's because... be, if anybody's listening to this and thinking of becoming a ballet dancer <laughs> in their, as their second career, first of all, you're probably too old. Second of all, they don't pay well. <laughs> Um, yeah. I mean, if you're in, you know, like the top level companies, they're making okay money. But before I, if I didn't have scholarships at NYU, I wouldn't have been able to afford it. I got really great scholarships, but as a ballet dancer, I was making, I think the most I made was $20,000 in a year. And um, I was like before taxes. I don't know what so, to say, but I have no comments about that. That's, that's like, uh, it's that's, crazy. that's below poverty line, I think, isn't it? A little bit. That's crazy. Bit. So whenever next time I'm at a ballet and I'm watching ballet, I'm gonna just throw money on the stage and be like, guys, collect this. This is yes. This you is should definitely do that. Here's some lunch, please. Oh my goodness. Um. So okay. Yeah, so how so, many projects? So you you said you take uh a, like are you like you know two six six weeks at a time? And you're taking ten projects that would be about. 50 weeks well more than 50 weeks 60 weeks but like I guess yeah. eight to ten projects a year I guess yeah and depending you know on how long or short the projects are it's it's somewhere between five and ten projects a year wow that must be you know like that sounds both good and bad to me somehow because you're always like going on something new and starting from scratch and and like working with a different team and then getting approval yeah. and communication and blah 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 but like if you're just making bank and leaving and then always on it, something new. It's kind of interesting. Like that makes a lot of sense to me too. Like I like a lot of variety in what I do, which, 
Yeah. You know, like working on the same TV show for 10 years doesn't excite me too much unless it's the TV show that I'm in charge of, but right. <laughs> so, okay. Are you also negotiating your contracts too? Or is it like the studios like, look, we only have a budget for X, Y, Z, or do they just come to you and say like, what's your day rate? And you're like $600 an hour. Uh, I'm, yeah, 600 an hour. That would be brilliant. Um, yeah, you're basically, you're a lawyer at that point. <laughs> yeah, uh, it depends. Sometimes somebody comes to me with a project and they're like, hey, this is how much we have. And that's that's all the money that there is. And you're like, thank um, you, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes they're like, this is, uh, what, what's your day rate? And then I'll give my day rate. And depending on how quickly they answer, I'll know if I said my day rate was high or if it was low. Um, but I know, you know, I know freelancers in the U S who are making between generally like 500 a day is like pretty standard, um, to upwards of 1200 a day, depending on the project. So it just, it's all over the place. Yeah. Fair. Do you, so like, say somebody comes with you, like a simple typography thing, are you going to charge them the higher day rate based on the studio or just be like, Oh, this is quick and dirty easy to do standard day rate depends. depends on depends on a lot of factors it depends on uh where is the project going to live at the end of the day like is this sometimes a studio will be like hey this is what we're going to pay you regardless of where it's going to live and it's like okay i can either accept that or not accept that yeah um but it's when when i'm getting like a, a directing project which i've done a couple of those as well um I want to know, like, is this like a non-for-profit where this is going to go on your website and you're trying to like raise money with this project? Or is this like a part of a big campaign that you're putting out where it might just be like typography, but it's going to be playing like for, Nike for millions of people. Yeah. Exactly. Then it, it would, it would vary. So you do a little investigation before you even tell them a rate. So they're like, Hey, Eric, like we want yeah. to work with you. Can you do this? And you're like, hold up. Can I have some more Let's info try. about the project first? Like, where is it living? who am I working? Like, what are the questions you usually ask to figure out your day rate? Cause like, you know, some, like, especially in animation where people are not super, how do I say this? I feel like even myself, I'm very timid to give a higher day rate, even though I know my time and what I'm doing is worth more sometimes because yeah. I just feel weird and awkward about it where I'm like, no, I want this much money if you're going to pull me aside out of a different project to like do your thing for a week like you're gonna to have to pay me like I just ran into this conflict with a project actually right now where I was like nope that is my day rate I'm sorry you're taking me away from something else like I don't yeah. have to do this <laughs> but most of the time I'm like oh no what should like should I undercut myself just because it, I might have a like, higher likelihood of getting it like yeah it yeah it depends I mean generally what I want to know is like how long is the project what are your expectations for the project um what do you want it to look like like what in your mind what does this project look like and then realistically what does that budget look like you know uh because if I have to hire other people to accomplish something like the project rate just has to be higher because it's not just my day rate um but if I'm also covering like design animation direction communicating with the client because they're not going to pay for, you know, a producer, a separate director, a storyboard artist. If I'm doing all of those things, yeah. it's like my day is going to be longer. So I'm going to charge more because I'm also like setting other things aside and giving my full brain to this thing, you know? Makes sense. So you've, you've hired other people to work with you then. 
I have. It was a very was interesting just... experience. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I thankfully I've hired some really fantastic people, but same thing. Like I've got to research them. I get like referrals from other people that I know and trust before hiring people. Um, but it's all communication. Everything yeah. is communication. Animation is communication, you know? Of course. Yeah. Well, uh, so like, since you're, this is interesting to me because you're on these jobs for only like two or three weeks at a time. When you get director notes back where it's like not going well and it's like, you know, you've done a big chunk of stuff and then they're like, oh, we actually wanted this. Like, what do you do? You just like scramble and figure stuff out on the side or do you just make sure that the communication is like so clear at every stage along the way? Scope of work. Scope I always have a scope of work. So I lay out in like a document and in a contract, this is what uh, this is what the project is. This is what our deliverables are. This is how many rounds of notes you can have. Um, you know, I treat every project as if I'm a studio. If I'm, you know, being hired as like a, a day player, then you yeah. know that's that's what it is. But if I'm running a project, I have to treat it like I'm a studio running a project. So that if at a certain point the client's like, I want you know 15 changes on this thing, but they only paid for six changes, like either you can pay more or no, you can be happy with what you have, or we can, um, you know, have a, a kill fee. So that essentially, you know, we get to a certain point and we agree upfront before anybody does work and anybody has emotions involved. This is how much it would cost you to stop the project before it's done. Wow. What, what yeah. is a typical kill fee? Just, I've never really heard of that before. Um, it's, I mean, is it, it a depends, of the but project? It, it's usually like a, how much of the project has been completed. Um, and then plus plus whatever percentage for how much is left. Wow, you're taking this you're you're taking this from like a very business approach, which I think is amazing. And I almost think that you know, like myself included, and, and like there's other other animators too. Like we grow up eating, sleeping, and breathing animation, so our egos are mm. so attached to it, and we want to do like the perfect job, and we're perfectionists, and we we we're not too interested in like all the semantics of like the deal and stuff. We're just like, great, I got the job. I want to do my best. And like, you know, all that uh, fun stuff we get to work <laughs> on and we're happy and we're not thinking about, you know, we could actually turn this skill that's needed into a highly lucrative career for ourselves, which makes sense. Like you are probably working less. Well, if you, especially if you take two months off <laughs> than somebody who's uh, working every single day on a TV show, I would assume, because they're working nine to five plus overtime. And it's not always nine to five. It's more like nine to seven, nine to eight, yeah. nine to midnight on crunch time, which I'm sure yeah. you experience as well. This is super interesting to me. I'm, I think this is really cool. So how long did it take for you from the moment you got your, it was a certificate at NYU? Uh, so I got my, my bachelor of science. Your bachelor yeah. of science to being a full-time, you know, getting your first gig and getting to a place where you're comfortably paying rent. Like how many, cause you've only been doing this for three years. How long did it take you to realize what you wanted to do, finish that whole degree and take those master classes, and then be like, now I'm paying my rent and plus. I mean, comfortably paying rent. I think <laughs> we got there as like, we're, we're, yeah, we're getting there. Um, it's, you know, it's, like a, for the last year, year and a half. So like a year and a half in. Okay. Um, but for like the first year out of school, I also, the pandemic just was about to start. It was 2019 when I graduated. 
Um, oh, no. I did some some work over the summer, a little bit of work in the fall. I wasn't making great money yet, but I was like, I also knew where I was at. Like I, I don't try and lie to myself, but I also don't like get overly critical of myself. So I reached out to some people uh, in the industry and said, hey, this is my work. Am I like, where am I at? Am I, be, be real with me or hurt my feelings. I mean, don't hurt my feelings in a mean way, but don't like spare my feelings to not tell me that my work's not professional yet. Yeah. Um, and I, I took a bunch of like extra classes at School of Motion, um, <laughs> a ton of classes on like Domestica because they're really inexpensive and their teachers are phenomenal. Um, Rodrigo Miguel in, in particular, the new mechanic, he's like just, his classes are brilliant. Um, and trained myself essentially to like, to be good enough to feel confident writing those emails saying, hey, this is the work, this is why you should pay me. I mean, not like saying this is why you should pay me, but showing the work that says, this is why you should pay me a, a day rate that's gonna pay my rent very comfortably. Totally. What were some of the things yeah. that you, what were some of the feedback that you got to get you to that level of professionalism? You know, when you, when you put your heart out there and said like, give me some feedback on this, what were some of those responses? Yeah, I mean, there was, you know, uh, I had a sense of movement that was obviously there, uh, but that the, the movement wasn't like, I couldn't like fit into a pipeline at that point where you wouldn't notice like well, who animated those shots. Cause yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure. Not, not, not sure about those guys. Um, so, you know, I had to work on, on a lot of craft. I had to, I had to get better at, at design. I had to get, I had to train my eyes. I had to look at a lot of design and like critically, like, what is it these people are doing? That's so good. And what is it, not even just that's good, you know, quote unquote good, but what is it about it that's intriguing me, that I like it, that I would want to take elements of this and make into something new, you know? So it's just graduating school knowing that I was okay and I could work at a place as like a junior artist, which I, which I did um, a little bit of, but then to say, I want to, I want to excel. I want to be somebody that gets hired all the time on different projects that are exciting. How do I get from where I'm at to where those people are? Interesting. And that was, you know, just developing as an, as an artist and developing the craft that, that that's there. Nice. So when you, <clears throat> when you're contracted, you're, you're just taking a piece of the pipeline so that they're, they're like, you know, here are your shots that fit into this other big thing, or it's typically like, here's a whole scene that you do specifically, or like, you know, you're doing the, we talked about typo, you're doing the typography specifically for the whole thing that fits on top. Like what, what kind of work is it? I mean, it's literally all of the things you just said. Okay. So then yeah. why, so I'm curious why studio would not have somebody in-house to do those things. Is it like, what are the opportunities that you specifically get? Um, yeah. So they, they often do have people in-house for a lot of those things, but then they're, they're hiring out because a lot of these studios have a lot of work mm. um, and they just can't handle it all internally. And to get, you know, a lot of studios I feel like are going more to the freelance model where they have a lot of managers in house and they have some people who can handle like final composites or like, like basic yeah. animation stuff. Um, and then they've, they've outsourced to people who are more niche, more specific, but I've been hired on projects too. There was a project I was hired on by a fantastic studio where I was animating, I was coloring and texturing. And then I was also handling the final composite for the whole thing. So as a freelancer, what you can do and what you can do well is what you will do. 
Yeah. Are you only, you're using Adobe um, to, to do all your motion graphics? Uh, so mostly the motion graphics stuff is in After Effects and uh, then cell animation is between Photoshop and TV Paint and TV Paint, TV Paint, TV Paint. I love TV Paint. <laughs> uh, it's the best. Okay, interesting. Um, because like, I'm just wondering, you know, motion graphics are super popular. Did you specifically just right now, right? Because like before, like, I don't know, 15 years ago, everything was cell animation, like 100%. And before that it was, I don't know, but whatever. Um, you know, did you choose motion graphics specifically because it was popular or just because you found that you liked it? I think I thought I was gonna go into motion graphics in school and then I saw Yukai Du's work which is very cell animated motion graphics I'm yeah. putting air quotes around motion graphics um not really realizing that like motion graphics was a very specific thing that wasn't really like what I was drawn to mm -hmm. I was drawn to that like kind of abstracted character character animation that gets to go go in a lot of different directions you know um so, you know, I, I do a bit of everything now. Right now I'm working on a project that's like all collage work. So we're working with photos and textures and some animated elements. Um, and the next project I'm on is all cell animation. So it's like, it really just runs the, runs the gambit. Which wow, is, that's... I love it. <laughs> that's the best part. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Perfect. You love it. No, that's, that's really cool. And it sounds like you're working on like so many cool things. Um, I just had a question and it just, bounced my brain <laughs> um but okay so like you've been doing this for three years now like what are next steps for you like you know you're you're finally making the income you want you're managing things um everything's going smoothly you're picking up more work you're making more relationships with studios like what is what is the end game for you is it to just continue to do this and just in, enjoy doing this or like do you want like what is what is what is what is life um, I mean, I'm, I'm working on a short film uh, outside of the, the project that you and I are working on. Another one. Um, oh, my goodness. Where do you find yeah. the time? <laughs> I don't know. Man, my partner's out of town for the next 10 weeks. So I'm just like, <laughs> there you go. oh, what else am I going to do? I'm just going to keep working, I guess. No, I mean, not like, you know, in an unhealthy way. But uh, um, no, if I have, you know, the two months that I had off at the beginning of the year, like, quote unquote, had off because I was unemployed. Um, I didn't just like sit around playing video games. Like I used every day, like it was a work day, um, worked on my short film, worked on the project that we're, that we're on. Um, you know, so I just, regardless of if the client has notes, if the client doesn't have notes, uh, if I have worked for a client during the day and I've got like two hours of energy at night, just because that's what I want to do, I'm going to do it. So where do you find the internal motivation to do this? You know, like, I, I understand like the, you know, you like doing it, you want to do it, but like also you know, sitting and watching TV or just not doing it. Like, you know, it takes, for me at least, like, you know, this anthology thing we're working on, like there's, I could work on it every single day and I just don't because I look at it because it's, I'm just like, oh, I don't want to start this after working all day and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And like, you know, where's the internal motivation coming from? Like, what is that underlying drive that's like compelling you to actually do this? Um, I think I'm just a little crazy maybe okay fine <laughs> there's like a little bit of that there's just I came to animation late in life after late in life I'm not that old I'm like in my 30s so <laughs> um 
late in life. I'm very young. I'm going to go with young. Uh, and I just, I've done so many things that now I'm doing this and I like, it's just so cool <laughs> to me, like that you can, that you can make something in your home that, that other people will see and, and relate to and react to and, and that you can just do whatever you want with it. Like literally anything you can think of, anything that you can draw, anything that you can chop together, you can make that, that just makes me so excited to do it. Yeah. And then it's like, I make this thing and then I see it and it, it comes to life by itself. And it's like, what, how did this just happen? This is cool. Yeah. I just nerd. I'm a nerd. That's it. That's what it is. I love it. No, it makes sense. Like I eat, sleep and breathe animation. So I totally understand. Like, yeah, <laughs> if I'm not on a podcast, I'm working on a side project. If I'm not doing that. I'm working full time. If I'm not doing that, I'm literally just scrolling through Instagram, looking at other people's animations. Like that's it. I don't have any yep. other mode. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, would you say, let me try to like sum up uh, your career, I guess your, you know, your, your career is built off of, you know, your hard work ethic where you're like, you know, actually managing yourself and treating this like very seriously you're you know also reading the manifesto but you know your ability to reach out to people and relationship manage always having a new reel and then like learning what it takes to get what people want I guess because even you know I think I think it's interesting that even when you put yourself out there and you weren't getting the feedback you wanted you went back and took a bunch of master classes which a lot of people don't do you know like I haven't specifically gone back and taken a masterclass. Somebody doesn't like my work. I just have a mental breakdown. <laughs> I'm like, well, not a mental breakdown, but I'm just like, oh, well, now I'm sad. <laughs> yeah, well, so, not that I don't get sad too, but yeah, continue. Yeah, but you know, is would you say that's kind of the foundation of what your career is built on at this point? Because even, you know, you can, you can blame it on the manifesto for teaching you these things, but also you had the drive originally to seek out those opportunities and, and treat this career very seriously to find that information to, to take. Yeah, I, yeah, that, that sounds really where the, where my career is culminating right now. And, you know, something my mom used to say, and I said sometimes about luck, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And like, I'm just constantly reminding myself, this is a moment, this is like an a opportunity to prepare to be lucky. I love that. This is an opportunity to prepare to be lucky. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I think I've told the story a million times, but uh, when I was at a business conference in my past career and ran, cause like business conferences, they get like celebrities to come and speak, do like a motivational speak for no reason other than just like to attract you to come to the main event thing. Yeah. So they had Mark Hamill come and talk at this business awesome. conference. And um, yeah, I, the one thing he said stuck out to me because they asked him like, you know, how did you end up with this opportunity? Because he was like literally just sleeping on his like friend's bed, had no items to his name, whatever. And then like Star Wars happened. And he said like he views kind of luck as like a like a big a big wheel and you have to keep spinning it and spinning it and spinning it because eventually you'll land on something. But if you never spin it, you're never going to land on it. So that talk like sticks out in my mind because at the time, I, I've always wanted to get into animation and animate, but I just wasn't ever pursuing it. I thought that somebody was just going to come to my door one day and be like, oh, Terry, I can see inside of your brain that you want to animate, even though you've animated nothing before in your life. Like, here's an opportunity to direct a feature film. Like, I was waiting for that for some reason. And then hearing that talk, awesome. <laughs> hearing that talk from Mark Hamill, I was like, am I an idiot? Like, I'm not even I'm not even producing anything. And I think that I'm going to get lucky. So 
that always sticks out in my mind as, as uh, like kind of a pivotal start to change for me. But I like what you said too, you know, like it's an opportunity to get lucky. That makes total sense. You know, it's, it's funny that too, I think my former career really set me up to know that nothing is just handed to you unless, you know, you're in a situation where something can be handed to you. And let's be real. There are a lot of people where that happens and some people make art with it and some people, you know, um, but when I was a dancer, like you had to audition, you, you know, unless Instagram wasn't a thing I was around before Instagram, um, when, you know, you couldn't like be posting your videos and then a company would reach out because they saw you dancing there. Like you had to go places, you had to hustle to get there. My first week, my first week, my first month living in New York city, um, I had 40 auditions that That's I went crazy. to. That is crazy. That is like an un... You have to pay for the transportation to each one, your time, the food, like the taxi driver, the rent. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, thankfully I was living in Hell's Kitchen, which is right where all the auditions are. But I was also paying $1,200 a month in rent um, when I was like, just like, oh God, I got to like, how are we going to like survive this? You know, I was working retail jobs. I was like doing anything to, to, to scrape it up to make it work. Um, and, you know, I also was in a, in a fortunate position to have like some help from my parents, which was, you know, I know not everybody has that. And I was blessed with that opportunity. And I was like, okay, this is my opportunity. Take it, run, do everything you can go to 40 auditions this month. And I booked my first two, uh, national tours from doing those auditions, Wow. you know? So when I went into animation, I was like, it's the same thing. If I send a hundred emails and my work is good, like I've got to be good work before you send them. If I send a hundred emails, somebody's going to have something. And they did. And now, you know, now I'm booked and I have to like turn jobs down, which is a nice feeling, but also not because I don't want to turn jobs down. You know what you should do? You should take them and then outsource them to other people. Yeah. Maybe at some point I will do that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It makes sense. Or at least like, you know, give them off to your friends or something. But I totally, I totally feel that, you know, applying to everything and even that approach with the studio thing. Like uh, I haven't gone through that specifically in my animation career. I've only applied to one job and I, and I got it and I'm still working on it, which is great. (laughs) But like in my business career out of school, I applied to 150 jobs and I got 15 interviews and then three offers out of that. But that's, those stats are crazy. Like 150 jobs. And then how did you feel? Cause you, you were saying before, like animation, it feels so connected personally. It feels so like, like the ego is so involved. Like, did you feel that way about uh, applying for your businesses? Were you like, I just like, I need a job. So I'm going to have to just I was like, I got the education. These jobs specifically want the education I have. Why? Like just putting two and two together. I don't know. So this is thing that I'm kind of struggling with internally. It's like, I'm very protective of this animation spirit that lives within me, whatever it is. And I don't want to expose it to like everything I've learned in the business world, even though I already have, I have this podcast, you know, I've negotiated contracts, like blah, 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 blah. I'm like, you know, doing pitches and whatever, but I I haven't like taken it to the same, like kind of methodical approach that I took in my business career, where it's like, you know, at first it's a numbers game and then you develop your relationships and then you like, you know, you you do the things and you get the training so you can get paid more. And then you, it's like, I did all of those things in my, this my freaking, this is my business behind me. (laughs) But 
but like all of those years, all like until I was 30, I had this like inner animation child I was protecting from all this other stuff. And I was always like, when I retire, I will let this spirit free. And then I was like, well, why the fuck would I let the spirit free when I'm 65 and can't move my arms because I have like arthritis or something. So I better do this now. So then I quit my job immediately, got into animation, but I'm still, I still have that like mental block that I'm still protecting this like animation thing from approaching it as like just a business for myself like you know I'm working on a project right now but I'm not getting paid very well but I love what I'm doing so it's just distracting me from like the whole pay thing because I'm like I love this it's great you know I'm working from home I'm working with an awesome team I'm doing exactly the things that I love but then there's this other thing knocking at my door being like you're making less now than you did when you started your business career in 2012 like what's wrong with you yeah so I I, I don't know what so this talk is very interesting to me because I haven't heard of anybody approaching it like you know I've talked to a lot of people of how they have scrambled to start their studio or their freelance career and I've never heard it I've never heard anybody doing it as methodically as you and it's 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 getting my wheels turning I guess if that makes sense (laughs) yeah I mean I feel like you can do both you can have that magic like when I'm animating and when I'm like designing stuff and I get to get all colors and you know play with all of these like textures and looks and like the camera angles like my brain just explodes and I feel like when I was eight when I was eight nine ten I used to make all the kids in my neighborhood come over to my house and we'd make like movies because my dad had a camcorder And I think that's why I lost a lot of friends because I was adamant about like, you have to do this when you're here. And and then when they stopped coming over, like I just played- You're like crying in the corner and you're like, retake, (laughs) you didn't learn your lines. We have to do it again. Yeah, exactly. So like that, that person is like in my brain. And then there's the other person that's like, hey, I'm gonna manage the business. Yeah. Yeah, There's like multiple personalities. I'm gonna manage the business so that you can do the cool shit that you wanna do but we're going to make sure that you set it up so that you're getting paid well, your contracts are there, you're supported, you're not going to end up in a too fucked up situation, um, you know, so that, that that creative thing can just go to town on yeah. the work. Yeah. Can you just do this for me? <laughs> you can, you can, you, you can take a cut. You can just outsource to me. Uh. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah. So, so basically what you're saying makes hundred percent sense. hundred percent sense. <laughs> Um, yeah. I guess like, yeah, I don't know. I just, and like, you, you, of course you can have both worlds and I don't know what's stopping me from just pursuing that other world, but uh, I sh- should probably start doing something. Maybe, maybe I'll start by reading the manifesto and that'll help me just, you know, motivate me to send some emails out because like, you know, I have, I have a lot of connections at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you're just saying like, Hey, we had this great conversation just so you know, I've yeah, got this availability. I'm available. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The other thing that's on my mind is like stop motion, which I love doing. It's such like a super niche that I already feel like, you know, there's, I don't know. I should stop talking because I'm just coming up with excuses now. So (laughs) there's that. (laughs) Yeah. You got to watch out for the excuse monster, right? What does RuPaul say that your, your inner demons are are getting in the way? Inner saboteur. Inner saboteur. That's it. Yeah. 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 But it's also, I was having this conversation with a friend who, just quit her job like a month ago to pursue like dressmaking and fashion full-time we had dinner wow. day and it was a really cool chat where she she was like I wish people told me you know to do this before and I was like listen 
we have all been telling you, you, you it, if it's not in lining, aligning with your internal, like what your heart wants to do, you're rejecting like all this external input and all these things saying like, you know, you should pursue this. You're really good at this. You can do this versus when you actually decide to do it. And people are saying that it's like, you know, compounding all the positive input and just like helping you feel like you're going full force ahead. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, this is, this is an interesting talk for me. I'm, I'm glad we had this chat. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the <laughs> podcast and interviewing me. <laughs> um, well, you know, as, you we're, know, as we're wrapping yeah, up, is there anything else that you wanted to, you want to share? I don't want to take your whole night, but um, you know, is there anything you that know, you think would be interesting for people that are listening and heard this chat to know? Just that if I can be on track to be making the, the six figure salary, um, as a freelancer who literally two years ago could almost not draw at all. By the way, Michael Matezzi, my drawing teacher, he's fantastic. Just read his books. You'll learn everything that you need to know. Um, but if I can do this at, you know, I didn't even start animating until I was 30, 29, 30, like literally nothing. If I can do it, anybody who wants to do it can do it. Yeah, I love that. And I, I love your story particularly because like, you had so much background in different, in different areas. And then you discovered this thing that you loved and you just were like, this is it, let's go for it. And, and then three years later, you know, I think that's amazing. It's fantastic. You're here. We are chatting, you know, and this would have never happened if you didn't go to <laughs> theater. You weren't a, what was it called? A, a slide, a, a swing, a swing. You weren't a, a swing. slide. I don't know. It's an S word. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think I think yeah. that's great advice. You know, it just takes like some determination and obviously, you know, some hard work and, uh, you know, talking to the right people and getting the right advice and just putting your mind behind yeah. it. Because I wonder how many people will read a book like The Freelancer Manifesto and be like, that was cool. And, you know, I could do that, but they just don't do it, you know, like, so. I didn't for the first year after I read it. And then I had a conversation with this guy who was a super successful freelancer. And he was like, did you read this book? And I was like, yeah, I read it like a year ago. And he's like, are you doing the stuff in this book? And I was like, I mean, I sent like two emails. He said, man, nobody is doing what's in this book. Well, not enough people. He said nobody. Like two people that he knew were doing it. He's like, nobody's doing this. Like do this. Pe producers want the animators. They need you to reach out to them. So just go do it. Yeah. You know? So then I did and it, man, it works. Wow. Well, I think that's, I think that's great. <laughs> cool. Is there anything else you wanted to share as we're wrapping up? I think that's it. Cool. Well, I think if you're in the U.S., vote. That's it. Vote. Vote, please. If, even if you're in Canada, vote. We just went through an election and like 30, what was it, like 39% of people in Ontario even voted. We ended oh, up with a majority government rough. all over again. Like nobody even, no, hardly anybody even, anyways, what? Yeah. This podcast is vote. not about politics. <laughs> Either direction that you're voting in, vote. Yes, just please just vote. Great. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Eric, for coming on and sharing, you know, your journey and your experience. It was an absolute pleasure. I feel motivated to like go and read this book and maybe uh, take my career a little bit more seriously and less less art art seriously, I guess. <laughs> but anyways, both, thanks. Both seriously. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on the chat. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Of course. And if you're listening and you want to follow Eric or reach out to him or check out some of his work, you can do so by, well, you can email him at Eric at Eric or you can check out his work on Instagram at Instagram.com slash Eric 
www.ericlarson.animates or his website, ericlarson.com.design and I'll include all those links in the description of this chat. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Will Farmer and the graphics by Daniel Abensauer. I encourage you to look them up if you enjoyed their work. 